Escapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library. A few games at a time. We play them briefly. We judge them harshly, and we rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I am Fatty Bomber Steampunk Link, and I am Dizzen Lizard Emmy Zero. And uh, we've got a couple of games here today. Uh, we are just uh, kicking off March 1993 here on episode 52 of Snescapades. Not a great start for the month, but we do... If nothing else, we've got some living liquid here. <laughs> we've got some living liquid. All the living liquid you can handle. we got some teeny tiny ninjas. We have got both a lizard man that looks sort of somebody's like furry OC. Uh, sorry, fursona? Is that what you say? Yeah, for fursona, fur, furry OC. I mean, I think either of those is probably appropriate. Uh, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. That's just kind of what this dude reminded me of. Yeah, we've also got like just a couple of games here that uh, I don't entirely know what to make of, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we got uh, games from a couple of companies that we have already discussed on the show, but we'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about one of them a little bit more uh, today and... Uh, it's, it's another Koei game. It's another friggin' Koei game. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I guess um, we'll just tell everybody what we're going to be talking about today. We've got Doomsday Warrior, and we've got Inendo Way of the Ninja, uh, which uh, turns out is part of the Nobunaga's Ambition series, I guess, or at least loosely connected to it in some way. I mean, Nobunaga, he's got those ambitions that cannot be contained to one series of games or even one genre of games as it turns out yes certainly not i guess we need to figure out which one we want to tackle first i think uh we should go ahead and start with doomsday warrior so this is a fighting game and this game comes to us from publisher renovation products who were a north american subsidiary of telenet and that name might sound familiar to you all because we just got done talking about them back in our Super Valis 4 episode. Renovation was one of the many companies that spawned from Telenet, and these guys handled a lot of localization of Telenet games here in North America, though not Super Valis 4, strangely enough. A lot of their output came out on Sega systems, though. This actually might be the only SNES game that they published. I, I was kind of looking around. I didn't see any others, but I, I could be wrong. But, uh, some of their more interesting games on the Genesis uh, include ports of Epic's game Todd's Adventures in Slime World. See, what I tell you about the living liquid there, we got, we got some right there. Uh, we got Team Wolf's shooter Soul Feast, or Soul Deece on the Genesis. The Genesis port of East 3 wanders from East. A pinball game called Dino Land and Jennifer Cap uh, Capriati Tennis. I probably mangled that name. I am very sorry, Jennifer. Just to name a few of their games, quite a diverse output there. Yeah, indeed. Renovation was actually acquired by Sega in 1993 and don't seem to have done much with them after that as their gamography ends in 1994 with their final game being Revenge of the Ninja on Sega CD. 
A lot of ninjas today. A lot of ninjas. No, the 1990s was a very ninja-heavy time. I don't know if all, all of y'all are aware of that, but uh, I bet you will be by the end of this series, because there are a lot of ninja, very ninja-forward games in the Super Nintendo's yes. uh, library. Well, I mean, just you know, think about that. You know, we, we had Ninja Turtles. We had the three ninjas. We had the Power Rangers, who were pretty much ninjas and then like in season two explicitly became ninjas yeah what else we got i'm, I'm sure we got ninja gaiden yeah we got ninja gaiden we got shinobi uh who is definitely a ninja um, we will have a game later on just called ninja warriors yeah that's right and that's not even the first ninja warriors that's actually the ninja warriors again because the ninja warriors were already there and then they came back more, more games should sequel their names with just again that's literally the title of the game in japan it's ninja warriors again and then when they did kind of like an upgraded remake of it for modern systems early like last year that one was called the ninja warriors yet again <laughs> oh damn you reality taking the sting out of my <laughs> smart ass comments what if, like, Avengers Endgame was just called Avengers again? You know, still would have done a, mil a billion dollars of business. Oh, I yeah. Think they just, I think they should have just done it. You know, these Avengers you like, they're back. Yep. None of them are ninjas, I don't think, if I remember correctly. We've escaped the, the gravitational pull of the ninja until Wolverine inevitably joins the MCU, at which point uh, then, hey... We're going to have ninjas again, because sure. Wolverine always seems to, to have ninjas around him, somehow. Yeah, Wolverine loves to, loves doing two things. One is mentoring teenage girls. The other is fighting ninjas. He's the <laughs> best he, he, there is at, at both of those things. <laughs> yep, he sure is. <laughs> anyway, um, wow, that was quite a tangent. <laughs> a series of tangents. <laughs> tangent again. <laughs> anyway um this game was also developed by shin nihon lasersoft another telenet subsidiary these were the folks behind the cosmic fantasy series and worked on a lot of games for optical media as far back as 1989's valis 2 for the turbografx cd they also developed super valis 4 uh, obviously is the creator of games with a lot of fmv requiring optical media elements uh doomsday warriors is kind of an odd one for them is this was not a port of a game from another system that had a lot of FMV. This is just one and done game that came out only on the Super NES and Super Famicom, as far as I can tell. Part of me wonders if this was just somebody walking into the office and being like, hey, that Street Fighter's really hot. Oh, most certainly. We got to turn out something in six months that we can put on the same system that uh, Street Fighter is, is doing the business on. I think a lot of companies were, as I've said before, chasing that Street Fighter 2 success. And, uh, oh, yeah. I will argue none of them got it. <laughs> Certainly not here on the Super Nintendo. I, I think that you have to look further afield for for people that successfully managed to bite off some of that Street Fighter uh, energy successfully. Uh, you know, but uh, SNK, they were not publishing anything on the Super Nintendo, as far as I know. No, no, certainly not. And yeah, SNK was, yeah, maybe got the closest, but I don't even think they ever quite saw the success of... The Street Fighter franchise. Nobody but but Mortal Kombat got that kind of success, honestly. It's, it's understandable, though. It seems like an easy format to replicate. I think that the evidence shows that it was not in practice that easy to successfully capture the lightning in a bottle of Street Fighter 2. This is something that's, you know, kind of speculation on my part. I'm not a professional game developer, so somebody might completely scoff at this, but... 
in general, genre-wise, I would say that fighting games seem to be the hardest thing to get really right because there's just so many moving parts all working in real time. Things that you have to get down by the frame to balance fighters and make sure that everything is working properly. It just seems like a really hard thing to get right. Because, I mean, yeah, yeah, on the surface, it does look very simple. Two people fighting, first one to lose all their health is the loser, and that's it. I, I can see where games like this are coming from. Oh, hey, we can jazz this up because it is so simple. And so they add the mechanics, kind of like we saw from that other fighting game that's uh, name is escaping me right now. Power Moves. Power moves. That was the one. These games adding the bells and whistles like the stat system when really they probably should have spent more time focusing on just the fundamentals of the fighting game. Because, yeah, I mean, like it's it's a functional game. And given how difficult I imagine it is to make a fighting game, I think that that's laudable. But it's still just not quite understanding what it is that Street Fighter nailed. You know, it, it's not just the graphics or, or anything like that. It's just how well the game plays. The moves in this game, you do have moves, uh, you know, special special attacks and projectiles and stuff, but none of them really feel good to use, to me at least. And all the characters feel like they control very similarly. Also, I think it's worth noting, this is basically a two-button fighter. You've just got a punch and a kick. You also have a, a button for jumping and a button for blocking. Uh, up does not jump. And although I didn't check to see if you could change that in the control uh, configuration. It gives the game kind of a weird sort of stodgy feel. Uh, like, it doesn't feel like it's as easy to combine movement with attacks in this game as it is in Street Fighter. This game has a stat management system in which after every fight, you can build on your stats and increase your abilities and your strength and everything. All of the health bars are segmented, so you have four segments of health, and anytime you lose one, that one's gone. But you, you do sort of like get a little bit of a health regen, it seemed, happening throughout the match. And then when you defeat your opponent, if you defeat your opponent, however segments of health you still have left, you get to transfer to your stats. So basically each of those equals one stat point that you can put into like boost your arm strength or your leg strength. Your defense, your your kind of special move, you know. Yeah, it's a neat system. It's actually, I think, pretty much the only, you know, sort of like differentiating idea this game really has. So I'm glad that it is it is a cool one. Um and I'm kind of surprised I've never seen another fighting game do this because it, it like seems like it would be a, a fun way to kind of get you to to try to play in a different sort of way than, than you might do naturally. But um, I'm a little split on how well I think it actually works in practice, just because it seems like a strange thing to like reward you for doing well by just making the game easier. I can kind of understand the philosophy behind this system. The bosses in this game are pretty difficult. SNK fighting game boss syndrome where the bosses can just lay you out the better you can do in your fights uh, leading up to that the more points you can sink into your various stats and the more powerful you will be when you go up against the bosses you know it's kind of getting you into a loop of like okay beat these six people then see how well you do against the bosses you're probably not going to make it the first time but you're, you're going to do a little bit better next time because you're you're going to be better at the game you're going to be able to beat the characters with more health and then hopefully, you know, by the time you can finally max out your stats, 
as you get to the boss levels, you'll have the resources that you need at that point to finish the game, hopefully. That's a good point, actually. And, like, yeah, that's that's something I hadn't really taken into account when thinking about this. But, like, so the, the way this game's single-player mode is structured is... It's it's kind of interesting because it's a little lopsided, but, uh, you know, sort of on purpose. Basically, you select one of the seven fighters, right? Uh, I think it's six. Oh, no, you wait. I'm sorry. You're right. It, it is seven. Yeah, right? It's, it's seven because there's six opponents that you fight. Right, yeah. You select one of the seven characters. You fight through the other six in basically whatever order you choose. And after each one, you get to level up with however much health you had left over from that fight. And then once you beat those, you go into the the fights with the three bosses. And the the fights with the standard other player characters are just one round each. But the fights with the bosses are uh, sets of three rounds. So effectively, more of your total time in the game will be spent fighting the three bosses at the end right. than than fighting any of the other the other selectable characters. Yeah, and, and the leveling up stops once you get to those bosses. It also kind of I think does lay bare a bit that this is a kind of bare bones game. You know? Oh yeah. There's literally four stage backgrounds. You fight. Three of the regular opponents on these stages, which are fine, you know, one of them is for some reason the the side of a building that you're fighting up and down vertically. I still can't really figure out how that works. And then you fight the other three once again on those same stages, and then all of the boss fights are uh, again are are in one one new arena. Sprites are a little small in this game for a fighting game. They, they look more like the size of characters you'd see in like a beat-em-up or something. But uh, I, I do like the character designs. Like I think that there's there's one guy who's like a masked like road warrior sort of dude. I like the lizard and the goo person. There's a guy whose whole deal is just that he's small and round and he can like hit you with his hair. You know, yeah. uh, you know, those are fun, uh, but there's really not much you can do with them. Yeah. And then, of course, you also have your obligatory Ryu and Ken characters and you've got your token woman that every fighting game needs. Who I think in this game is literally like a kind of Poison Ivy style, like plant person. But apart from that, she's there. There's really nothing going on with her. I'm always annoyed that like fighting games of this vintage are always like, OK, we need one woman and only one woman so that woman can be her defining characteristic. Yeah, because there's nothing like fun or interesting about like her animation or her attacks or anything. She's just sort of there. It's annoying. It's like, you know, you could put a different number of women in your game. You, you could, could. Put two, three, just make interesting characters another thing that every character in this game has is these uh kind of very strong i guess it's a throw uh very strong move where you you kind of kick or or launch the opponent into either the wall or the ceiling or the floor uh you get some cool sort of like anime speed lines around everything when this this happens and unfortunately these sort of felt really unbalanced to me because these moves were so strong and debilitated your opponent so much that it felt like it was sort of pointless to use anything other than those. 
with the exception of some characters who had a projectile and could play a decent keep away game, there really wasn't any reason to do anything but get up close to your opponent and throw them because like it seemed like those were mostly unblockable. Right. When you're really up close to your opponent, your punches and kicks seem to go through them anyway. So there's not a whole lot of risk in getting really close up, you know, and again, this just all goes towards the just the idea of balancing and how that works like that move those moves are incredibly unbalanced so yeah this is uh not an impressive game and you know we're it's disappointing that we're going to be seeing a lot of these a lot of fighting games that are you know just clearly trying to get some of that street fighter 2 money without understanding why street fighter 2 took off in the first place and this is me speculating i like you don't have uh, a lot of really in-depth knowledge about you know the situation going on at these companies at the time but a lot of these early fighting games that came out in the wake of Street Fighter 2 kind of do feel like games that were not made by people who had any particular like affinity for this genre they weren't necessarily people who like internalized all the 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 stuff that Street Fighter 2 was doing that were different and and you know made that kind of elevated that game this game and uh, you know really a lot of the other fighting games we've played do kind of feel like somebody going okay we need to make one of these so let's make one let's go and just sort of put all the pieces together and it'll be good and i don't i don't know that you really started seeing games that really were able to kind of stand up to street fighter on like a quality level until there were people making them that really kind of got it maybe you needed to get to a point where the people making games were the people who played street fighter and the good snk fighting games as kids and yeah grew up with those and so had an understanding of like street fighter 2 didn't take off because people suddenly decided oh fighting games are good we should play more of those it took off because it was a really really good one of those you know, when somebody makes a really, really good thing in, in, you know, a specific genre, people play it because it's really, really high quality and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. They don't play it because everybody just suddenly is like, oh, hey, platformers are a thing. Oh, hey, RPGs are a thing. And, and, I, and I think you're, you're right about the whole, you know, like, I don't think there was a lot of interest behind this. This does feel like a very, hey, let's get this out the door. Because, I mean, look at these characters. Like, they, they all just feel like characters from other things for the most part. Like, these are pretty generic yeah, and I just, I don't feel like there's a cohesive story around these characters, you know, like existing in, in some world. Yeah. You know, like there isn't a unifying theme here. Literally, the unifying theme, if you read up on like what the minimal backstory is, is that these people are all just super strong people that work for the evil guy and whichever one you choose decides to rebel and take down the evil guy that is in charge of everything. And it's like, that is just a, you know, it's like the most generic sort of catch-all thing that you could possibly have for this sort of deal. But admittedly, you know, this is a genre where most of the stories basically amount to, it's a fighting tournament, so all these really strong people are here. But there's just nothing, there's nothing, you know, unique about this whole game's deal, you know, its whole its whole aesthetic and everything that that could really kind of be like a filter to put all these sort of tropes through and have them come out as something fun. 
Well, we spent a while slagging this game. Do you want to go to the list and see where we want to put it? I think we can place this one on the list somewhere. We can talk about that right away. The thing that stands out to me is is a point of comparison for this is Power Moves, which is the other pretty mediocre, not terribly inspired fighting game that we've played that's you know at least better than the completely incompetent ones like Ultraman and Pit Fighter. Yeah, I think that Ultraman and Pit Fighter are in a very different category than any other fighting games we've played. Uh and yeah, I, I would say that, you know, we were we were kind of talking a little bit about where Doomsday Warrior goes in relation to the other sort of like competent fighting games. But honestly, I think Power Moves, the more we talk about it, Power Moves at least had a little bit of more of a cohesive style, and I think it probably did play a little bit closer to Street Fighter, which isn't the be-all and end-all of, of how a fighting game needs to play. But when you're dealing with sort of an era where, like, one game has kind of figured out the core of, of how to make this genre fun and others haven't, something that gets closer to that is probably for the best. I'd be pretty comfortable with placing this somewhere below power moves. I might drop it quite a bit lower, to be honest. Like, I'm even looking around, like, number 100. Like, I think extra innings might actually be the ceiling for this one. Mm, okay. Um, Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball, I don't remember well enough to have a good point of comparison, so maybe... Do we think we should have a conversation about some of the stuff below that? You know, looking at the stuff that is below that... I actually would rather play this game than F1 ROC. Like, I found our F1 ROC pretty unpleasant to play. Whereas the worst I could really say about this game is that it's it's sort of boring and uninspired, but at least it has a couple of fun ideas, and it definitely, I think, has, like, better graphics and music than R than F1 ROC. There's there's a part of me that, that might say, like, I think this goes below Super Adventure Island, but I'm, I'm willing to say, like, eh... Super Adventure Island gets enough disappointment points for its lack of pterodactyls. Yeah. Never gonna let that one go. Yeah. I will beat that dead horse. I will keep beating that dead horse until a playing card suit pops out of it, and I grab that playing card suit, and it turns into a pterodactyl that I can ride. So above F1 ROC. And I'm good with it being... I mean, I can't really remember Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball either. Maybe it can go above that, but I would be happy with, you know... Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Let's break up the this other baseball chunk that we've got right here. So congratulations to... What's this game called? Doomsday Warrior. It's even a very generic title, honestly. It's like, what? what does that even mean in this context? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, our new number 100, Doomsday Warrior. Warriors? Uh, Doomsday Warrior, singular. Okay, just, just only one of them. Which one of them do you think is the Doomsday Warrior? It's got to be the guy who looks like like uh, Legion of Doom, right? Amon. I think I think his name's Amon. Amon. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, or it, it, you know, it could be Proto Goro. Um, the uh, Asura Asura character. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, so that's uh, Doomsday Warrior, and I guess now we will move on to the Koei game. So in Nindo, once again, we're in Ninja Town. Uh, we're sure somewhere in Ninja Town. There's nothing really else to say about Koei, obviously, as a company. We've talked about them a bunch of times, but did you have anything you wanted to add about that or about this game, the, the production of this game before we get into talking about the game itself? 
So, I, I mean, obviously the company and producer Yoichi Arakawa seem to have a fascination with historical strategy games and Nobunaga in particular. So I, I wanted to go into just like a little bit of history here. Yeah, go for it. Um, I am certainly not a, a an Asian history scholar by any stretch, but this is kind of what I got from Wikipedia. Odo Nobunaga was a daimyo who lived from 1534 to 1582. Uh, daimyo were basically folks who lorded over vast holdings throughout the feudal era of Japan. Uh, they were of, often protected by samurai, and some would wage wars against each other, or, you know, against other daimyo to increase their holdings. And Nobunaga was the first to nearly unify all of Japan under his rule. However, in 1582, he was betrayed by one of his own generals who ambushed him at the Hanoji Temple by surrounding the temple with Nobunaga inside and setting it on fire. As Nobunaga's remains were never recovered, it's not known if he perished in the fire or if he died by seppuku, uh, which is ritual suicide that was often seen as a more dignified end than to succumb to or be captured by an enemy. So Inendo starts the story the year that Nobunaga died and references the incident at Hanoji, but presents a sort of what-if story where Nobunaga survives his attempted assassination and escapes to Azuchi Castle. And as one of the last survivors of the Iga clan, it's up to you to sort of amass an army and, and ally yourself with other daimyo who may be sympathetic to your cause and make a final stand at Azuchi Castle and, and finish Nobunaga once and for all. Um, also, Nobunaga might have magic powers now. The, the folks making this game were never going for historical accuracy, but no, I mean, there's there there's there is you know magic in this game. There are there are monsters. Uh, this yes, is yes. this is very firmly in the the kind of you know fantastical realm for sure yeah this is very historically accurate and here's the giant enemy crab <laughs> yep yeah yeah centipedes uh centipedes and and very large rats are some of the early enemies you will fight in this game this is a, yeah so this is kind of an interesting concept so what this game is is basically uh you play as uh, a ninja from kind of a, a fallen clan that has been destroyed by Oda Nobunaga during during his big conquest of Japan you are essentially on on a quest to take down Ob uh, uh, Nobunaga what how this actually plays out is is much closer to kind of like a a Dragon Quest style uh Japanese RPG than than the kind of grander strategy uh setup that that like the romance of the three kingdoms or what what was the other one? Uh Gemfire? Gemfire, yeah. It's it's you are controlling a character and later on sort of a party of characters who are going around a map, going into dungeons, fighting monsters, leveling up, getting stronger, going to towns, all of that stuff. But it is still kind of in service of that, you know, take over this landmass strategy goal that the other Koei games we've played have have kind of focused on yeah the way it blends uh traditional rpg and, and strategy games are kind of interesting here you get into random encounter battles and you can also use a list of commands in sort of the overworld to do things like you know investigate objects uh, use items and do some specific things like spying, 
which which are you know functions you can perform to kind of get in good with with some of the the different daimyos uh so that they will they will back you uh in in your your quest to take down nobunaga yeah and i and i guess like a, a big part of this game is sort of like the more allies you can accumulate that also means the fewer allies that nobunaga will have at the end of the game or something like that. It it seems like that's what's going on. Here's a big problem with this game. It is long and slow. I did not get anywhere close to the point at which the game kind of opens up and, and its more strategy-style elements are surfaced. I'm guessing you probably didn't either. I did not, no. Uh, you know, I read about a lot of this, and I, I saw some videos, but no, in my own playthrough, in the few hours that I, I spent playing this, uh, I didn't get anywhere close to that, because the beginning of this game is just a grindy slog in a way that... I think only, like, 8-bit RPGs tended to be. Yeah, and as a result of that, you will need to be patient, and you will have to have an affinity for this kind of game specifically to get anywhere in it. And, I mean, these days, I don't know who that is. Like, there are other games that have almost certainly done this better than this game did since then. And I don't know who's got the time now to go through this. I mean, even kids who might actually have the amount of spare time needed to get through a game like this are going to have so many more options available to them than we did back in the day. I don't think they would play this game, you know? I mean, I think that's a big problem for me here is that aside from the mechanical guts of how this game works, there's very little to pull you through this game. Like, there's not really you know, characters in the same sense as, like, a uh, Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest game. Really, the story is much more dictated by the strategy layer. And also, there's not really a lot in the way of, like, production values to pull you through, which which is also something that is is a you know i think a a a meaningful contributor to to some of the best you know best remembered rpgs of of this era this game has i would say some of the worst graphics on the super nintendo i think that's fair it looks much much more like an 8-bit game it looks like an nes game or maybe even something earlier with very tiny sprites and a bunch of dungeons that all look functionally identical this game it's worth noting did come out in japan in 91 i think this was it, it i guess this was actually a launch window game for the super nintendo in in japan and this looks very much like something that is sort of towing the line between just being uh, an 8-bit game and being something that got upgraded for for to put out on the Super Nintendo. So it doesn't look great. I think the music is honestly pretty annoying in a bunch of places, especially the battle music. It's rough is what I'm saying. Yeah, this game originally came out on Japanese computer systems like the PC-98 and MSX. But honestly, like if you had told me that this was an older game than that, I would not have been surprised, especially like some of the sound effects like you were talking about before we started recording. They sound like they could have just come off of a DOS computer from the mid-80s. I really would have believed somebody if they had told me that this came out in, like, 86 on, you know, a Japanese computer, and they've just done barely enough to to warrant an, a SNES release for it. I mean, there are a few things that I like about the presentation of this. I like the sort of opening sequence that almost presents 
the story like a, a, a kabuki play in a way. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But the, the game itself, see, this game feels like it's way more interested in telling a story than it is in being a fun game. But it's also not that interested in telling a story because it still wants to to leave you some room to to kind of do the whole kind of um, acquisition of territory and, you know, playing sides against each other thing that uh, part and parcel with these sorts of games. So, But I mean, if you were actually more interested in the role playing aspect of the game, you know, and, and then you can kind of build that story up yourself in a way. And, and that's that's fine. But it just, it takes so long to get the, to that point, though. When this game opens, when you first get control of your character, you're talking to a few people in your village, your master tells you uh, pretty much what you need to do, what's, what's going to be, you know, kind of taking up your, your quest for like the first third of the game, I suppose, until, you know, it, it, it properly opens up into the strategy game that it ends up being. Then you are attacked in a battle that you are meant to lose. Now... RPGs have done this. There were some of these, I think, in Final Fantasy 2 that we talked about a while back. That's fine. I hate that they do that in the first encounter that you will have. Like, this could have been a good tutorial, but instead they make it part of the story in which you're supposed to lose. But then it's not even a good story because it's immediately undone. Your master just comes, picks you up and says, hey, you're okay now, but I'm dying for some reason. Bye. Yeah. And then you're completely fine. And it's just like, what was the point of any of that? Then you're told, yeah, okay, go over to this dungeon and get this thing. So you go over to the, the first dungeon in the game and then you get into a fight. This isn't the first fight you've been in because you've been in the kind of like, you know, scripted encounter that, that the game starts with. But it is it is the first time that you're really in control of it and you're just sort of like okay what do i do now right um it's not a it's not a super complicated battle system but it's also not immediately 100 percent straightforward like for example there is actually a little bit of like grid movement in, in the battle system where you can move closer to enemies to hit them with a short range attack that is stronger or you can hit them uh, from a distance with like a throwing star. It is not hard to figure out what you're supposed to do, but it is annoying that the game does this sort of like weird stuttering start with it. Yeah. Uh, it feels very unsatisfying. The battle system, I will say, is not terrible, but there's also not really... I don't feel like, at least in the early game, there's enough to it to warrant the amount of of time you spend just essentially fighting the same enemies over and over again. Also, apparently I'm like a super ninja guy or, you know, like a really promising up and coming ninja guy. And I'm, I'm getting my ass handed to me by rats. Like, what the hell? You do have to level up a couple of times before you just start like steamrolling the rats. That first dungeon where you're like, okay, this rat hit me twice and I'm nearly dead. That's cool. It's it's strange how like generically like JRPG this bit it, this this part this aspect of the game is because it doesn't really work with the rest of the historical fantasy very well. Yeah, I, I honestly like I died pretty quickly in that dungeon the first time and. 
They're like, well, your character passed away. Do you want to continue? It's like, I absolutely do not. No. I gave it a few more shots, but I, I honestly didn't make it much further. Yeah, I made it further because I was lucky enough to not die in my like first encounter, and I discovered that I had a couple of healing items. I was able to heal up enough to get a couple of levels up, at which point the game suddenly becomes very easy, which is also not fun in its own way. The the pace of this game is, is, is abysmal. Like, you have to go to the, the cave to get the password to use at a place to continue your training. What if instead of all of that, your next destination after your village was just go to the place to get your training? Leave out the filler just get to the interesting stuff. Yeah, right. It's long for no good reason. I feel like this game has no respect for my time. It's pretty tedious, and it takes a really long time for it to start filling up all the empty space with anything. I can't really recommend this game. I don't, I don't think that there's anything here that, even though I, I recognize there are, there are some interesting aspects to it, I don't think it offers enough to be worth the amount of time that you have to put into it. So I kind of want to go over to the list because I want to talk about this game in comparison to another one to talk about something else I really don't like about this game. So we've got Uncharted Waters at number 105. Uncharted Waters, still kind of baffling, still kind of dense and, and not really for us, but at least Uncharted Waters kind of has a lot of the stuff that you're going to be doing right out of the gate once you get control of your character. I still think that that game kind of opens in a very weird, sloggy kind of way, but at least, you know, once you're out in the port, you've got access to all these different buildings that are going to be more or less the mechanics that you're going to use throughout your entirety with the game. Here, you have to spend hours playing this before you even get to that point. And I think that makes this a much worse game than Uncharted Waters. How do you feel about that? I agree. I, I find that logic sound. Um, you know, it's like the thing with me is that like I feel like I could, if I was properly motivated, actually could make it through those X number of hours because I like this type of game, the you know, turn-based Japanese RPG more than the kind of, like, trading sim that Uncharted Waters is, you know, right off the bat. So I could continue playing this, but I really wouldn't want to. That's not enough. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I agree. I think this is a, a much more poorly set-up game than Uncharted Waters. So if uh, we keep comparing this to its uh, Koei Kin... We've got Gemfire at 113. Do you think this uh, goes below that one as well? Yeah, I think it does. I think Gemfire, by sort of narrowing the focus of the the sort of, you know, strategy tactics game uh, to, to something a little more manageable and having these more sort of structured campaigns, uh, I, I think it, it had a little bit more of a sense of urgency that I appreciated. So I think this goes below that as well. Let's see, what's another good comparison? Below that, we start getting into some much dicier stuff, is the trick. Like, I, I don't know that I think this game is busted the way a lot of the stuff really low down on the list is. I don't know, what do you think about... I mean, this is a sort of strange comparison, but what do you think about this versus Wheel of Fortune? I mean, Wheel of Fortune, at least, 
you know, I can put an hour into that and I can say, well, I know exactly what this is. Whereas with an endo, I haven't even scratched the surface at an hour. I, I, I don't know. That's, that might be a bad comparison because I feel like this at least has more going on. Yeah, it definitely has more going on. I'll, I'll give it the benefit over Wheel of Fortune because, I mean, I definitely wouldn't put it below Bart's Nightmare, for example. Like, No, that's fair. This game yeah. at least, you know, like it's it's dense and hard to wrap my head around, but at least I get the feeling that... It works fine, which is more than I can say for Bart's Nightmare. Although, I mean, Bart's Nightmare is an infinitely better looking game, I guess, but... Well, sure, yeah, but it's very... Un- Bart's Nightmare, like, <laughs> three quarters of that game is is borderline unplayable, yeah. which is not a thing I would say about an Endo. So, yeah. Um, so, okay, you know, it, California Games 2 is kind of an interesting one cuz again like you can pretty much get a handle on what everything that game has to offer with in an hour or so but uh, you know I'd probably put this above California Games 2. California Games 2 is like just there's just so little there. Honestly Chester Cheetah Too Cool to Fool might be like the first like game where I've got got qualms about it. I've, yeah, I've really got to like think about that one. It's not as good looking as say like Bart's Nightmare, but it still like looks okay it's still got a style going for it that i think works for what it is and it's very representative of the brand that it's based on yeah i think i think chester cheetah at the very least looks like a super nintendo game oh certainly yeah also it's not nearly as janky as bart's nightmare it doesn't play like a dream or anything but it's fine you know i might say i think this goes below chester cheetah i don't yeah i think chester cheetah is just such a an interesting artifact of its time I think I would recommend it before I would recommend Inendo, which is just uh, something that I feel like is just such a niche thing back then and has been completely left behind by anybody who might have potentially wanted to play this game. My feeling, honestly, is like, unless you're doing a survey of Koei games, like of like their catalog of games, I don't really know what would draw you back to Inendo. Like, it's just, there's nothing fun or interesting enough about it, but I would say you should play it over another Koei strategy game or another more traditional Japanese RPG. I'm pretty good with this. So uh, Chester Cheetah Too Cool to Fool is our number 119 game, which makes uh, makes Inendo uh, Way of the Ninja our 120th game on the list. Congratulations, I guess. You're number 120 of 159, so... Yeah, that's pretty low down, honestly. That's not great. (laughs) Yeah, that ain't great. That ain't great. So, did you want to have a little bit of a conversation, because we did talk a little bit about this before, about what you think, what, what we think would be the best way to approach koei's strategy games going forward yeah you know i really thought in Nendo, if any of these were really gonna kind of sway us to maybe not like the stuff that koei is putting out at least you know be a little bit more intrigued by it but honestly this is one of the lower ranked games of koei's that we've put on this list now so i think the next time we encounter a koei game i think we're just going to do a a snescapade sports desk like special where we just get all of the rest of them out of the way. We kind of talk about them all as one big group, place them somewhere on the list, and then never have to talk about a Koei game ever again. It it, it kind of sucks to, to have to do that, but I feel like we, uh, the two of us, are, are unfortunately just far enough outside of the group of people that, you know, really get something out of Koei's strategy games that we're not saying anything 
you know, revelatory about these games when we discuss them. And, uh, you know, we're not really even saying different stuff about them for the most part. So in much the same way that we have trouble talking in in sort of informed and, and meaningful ways about, like, football games, uh, we have the same issue with these ones. We've played enough of them now that we can recognize that. So yeah, that's that's where we're gonna that that's how we are going to to approach these is uh is the next time one of them comes up, like you said, we are going to gather them all together and we're essentially going to have that discussion about all of them. And I do want to say really quick, if you are somebody who really likes these games, whether it's out of you know nostalgia or just you know you are really into this kind of game, please don't take this personally. All right. You can certainly say, you know, like, oh, well, those guys just don't know what they're talking about because they don't get these games. That's that's fair. I mean, it's true. It's actually more than fair. It's entirely accurate. Please don't take it personally. You know, as as I've said to a few people before, you know, who've who've lightheartedly, you know, said like they were bummed about the placement of something or another on this list. You can't make a list like this without barbecuing someone's sacred cow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's at the end of the day, this is just our opinion. And we do not think less of you because you like a game that we don't get or that we didn't like or whatever. It's okay. So uh, I guess nothing left to do but to get serious. Time to get serious. So recording this, you know, like the, the second week of December right now. And, um... You know, this is a, a little bit more games focused than the stuff that that we usually talk about in this segment. But major game, highly anticipated game, just recently came out, and uh, is having kind of a rocky time out there. Uh, you know, with uh, you know, sort of a, a very uh, very buggy release uh, release where the um, uh, company that made it appears to have promised it would be extremely functional on the consoles that most people most people own, and it is not. Um, I don't really know what to what to say about that or the the sort of like uh, reception it's getting, other than that that company has spent the last couple of years really sort of courting the most toxic and vile group of of gamers with its uh, marketing for this game. And um, it feels a little bit like watching all of the spirits consume Dr. Facilier at the end of The Princess and the Frog to watch what's happening right now. It's almost like it's almost like you reap what you sow. Um... Yeah, it almost it, it it is almost um, so yeah. I think we could expand that to an even bigger level than just games development. You know, if 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 you base your entire persona around hate and are actively courting white supremacists and misogynists and, and homophobes and transphobes and all of these just despicable people and taking pride in that, maybe you don't get to be surprised when a few of them say, oh, I'm going to turn around and destroy your party now to the three people left who will still listen to them on the bad right wing the social media site. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. I think, yeah. Yeah, thank you for taking that in a more expansive direction. <laughs> no problem. We did say that we were going to get extra serious because we forgot to do one in the last episode. Uh, so I've got something too. There's been a lot of talk about tone and messaging and 
this this kind of weighing pragmatism versus being right being correct, I should say. It's a garbage argument. We're not talking about whether or not pineapple is good on pizza, where at the end of the day, it's going to be fine no matter who wins that argument, right? That doesn't matter. Uh, when it comes to an argument like, say, oh, I don't know, defunding the police, the longer we don't do that, the more people that die from police. So that's why defund the police does not need to be an idea that's blunted, that needs to be an idea that it, that becomes more mainstream. Oh, hey, look, there's a siren out in the distance there. I'm going to leave that one in <laughs> if it picks up. We want to make those messages more mainstream. And here's the thing. We don't make progress because everyone finally agrees to something. Slavery didn't end because the last person who was pro-slavery changed their mind about it. The civil rights movement didn't happen because... Absolutely everyone unanimously agreed that, oh, hey, this is a good idea. And, you know, like the only people who were left were just a, a few, you know, bad apples or whatever. Most of the country didn't agree with those ideas, but we went forward with them anyway. That's how progress has to happen a lot of the time. So, yeah, if we finally get to a point where we're actually able to start taking money from police departments and spending those resources in better places, it probably won't be because everyone or even a vast majority of the people think it's a good idea to do that. It's because the correct people finally won and we need to do that to keep people from dying. Yeah. And we need to do that to create a better society that's more equitable for everybody, even the people who think they don't want that. Well, yeah, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that was a very succinct way of, uh, of delivering that. All right. Well, with that, uh, we will put episode 52 to bed and we will move on to the next one and i guess i should take a look here at what we've got coming up next uh we're gonna do another another two two up episode next time uh and it is going to be king arthur's world and spin dizzy worlds spin dizzy worlds i believe has nothing to do with the egg person dizzy from the Oliver Twins. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Sadly, I don't think we're getting one of those on the Super Nintendo. There might be one for the Genesis. There is one for the Genesis. Um, yeah, but I don't know anything about Spin Dizzy Worlds. Uh, and I the, all the stuff I know about King Arthur's World came from the Nintendo Power we just read. So. Yeah, which left us uh, curious and intrigued. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that one. So we'll... We'll see how it goes. Yeah, same here. And uh, we hope that you guys will give us a listen next time to see how it goes with us. Thanks a whole lot for listening. We really appreciate it. And until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Uh, I can't decide if I want that to be the, the stinger for the episode or if I just want to keep that all in. <laughs> I think that I think that depends on how the next half hour of talking about these these games goes, honestly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh. <laughs>